excited about more young people that are going to come into the church that are going to be impacted by the gospel. You know, we're going to be able to have uh, bigger crowds of children as we're going to serve more families that are going to come into the church. The thing I think I get most excited about is the expanded impact that we're going to be able to have for the gospel. It's just going to facilitate carrying the message to the community because the community is going to be able to find us. It feels like people are truly in love with Jesus here. Well, you may not or you may be aware of it, but you are sitting in a miracle uh, today. You are not here in this building today by accident. That God has a purpose in you being here and that long before you ever decided to come, he put things in motion and in place that made this day possible. When I think about the last uh, 16 years, uh, three words kind of come to mind, uh, growth, uh, transformation, and impact. Uh, we've grown a ton over the last 16 years, like 400% growth, we've quadrupled in size. Um, literally thousands of people have been transformed by the gospel. So what I'm so excited about uh, with Renovate and Giving Tuesday and the impact that it will have is that it's not just about the next year or the next two years. It's really about the next 16 years. God has done so many amazing things over the last 16 years using this space. And he's gonna do some amazing things in the next 16 years and beyond using this space. And I think about what's happening in terms of in-person engagement and online engagement. And we, we really wanna future-proof this space so that we can have an impact both online and in person and reach even more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like we want God's kingdom to come in Fairfax as it is in heaven. And we know that space and what God can do in that space can be a huge part of that. And one of the things I'm really excited about is we always give away a portion when we do a campaign like this, we always give away a portion of this. And so while we're gonna be renovating this space for the future. We're also gonna be renovating and rebuilding homes that have been devastated by the earthquake in Haiti. Uh, families that we will know their names and we will know their stories. And as we are kind of building and shaping a new future here, we're gonna be building and shaping a new future for these families that have been devastated or in despair looking for hope, and we'll be able to be a part of that hope. You are still sitting in the middle of a miracle. And just like in 2005, you are not here by accident. God has a purpose and a plan for you being here and for you being a part of a community that God is using to make a difference in this world, for God's kingdom to come in Fairfax and in Haiti and in other places around the world. And so this Giving Tuesday, I invite you to partner with us to make a difference for generations to come.
That was fun. Our uh, communications team had to go back deep into the archives to find some of that, and I will forever be grateful that there were certain videos and pictures they did not show. And uh, one of the people that was around uh, 16 years ago when we built this space and opened this space uh, was John Formello, and I'm going to invite John uh, to come up and be a part. Would you welcome John Formello? So, John, you and your wife, Jenny, have been a part of Fairfax how long? We've been here for about 17 years now. 17 years. So you were here before we moved in here. We were back on Hunt Road, a little dead-end street and all of that. Yeah, Yeah. we were were at Hunt Road for about a year, and uh, we had saw the sign that this was being built out here, and we were moving down the road. And uh, a mother in, in Jenny's, one of Jenny's small group, was attending here and invited us. So we went to Hunt Road for a year and loved it. And, uh, and the sign gave you hope that it was going to come faster than what it actually came, right? Yeah, you know, it was like two months out. <laughs> and construction, construction. So we were at Hunt Road for about a year, yeah. Yeah, so 17 years here, and you've been on our advisory council for how long? About 13 years. 13 years on the advisory yeah. council, yeah. yeah. So that has been a, a great experience. Um, so yeah. your family has pretty much grown up here. How old were your kids when you started? Yeah, they have. So my son was just born when we okay. started to come to Hunt Road. And then, so my oldest daughter, Grace, would have been uh, four, and my daughter, Anna, would have been two. Okay. So yeah, yeah we were, I joke with Jenny, we were kids raising kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So uh, buildings in general, and this is certainly true for Renovate as we're doing some things in this space and out in the great room and the coffee shop and all of that production studio. Um, It's not about, obviously it's not about the space, what happens in the space and how God is at work in the space. And I know that God has been at work in the life of your family through the ministry of Fairfax over these 70 years. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. I mean... I think the first thing that really jumps out at me is is just how this place has impacted my kids, mm. right? How they've come through the children's ministry and the youth ministry and how the staff and the volunteers here have been able to just pour into them, uh, to love them, to show God's love for them. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, that's life-changing. My two daughters... Uh, decided they wanted to be baptized here. Wow. Jenny and I were baptized here. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, as a parent, that's just all you could ask for, really. Right. Um, one other event I was thinking about, too, that I loved was um, we got to serve as a family out in uh, the great room. I think it was uh, Stop Hunger Now or something like this. It was, it was a little while ago, but they had this assembly line, and, you know, you could serve next to your kids, and we were just packaging meals and you know, I was thinking it's just a great way to use that space. We couldn't have done that at Hunt Road, right? Yeah, it was a little yeah. smaller. So just, yeah, that, that piece has been really special. And then I would also say uh, being able to come into this space, particularly uh, during times in my life where, where things were, were difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, Jenny lost her dad uh, back in 2011, and then I lost my father the, the following year. And it was, a, it was a lot of upheaval, a lot of change for us. And it was, it was just life-giving to come in here and, and just worship. Mm-hmm. And even though I didn't necessarily feel like I could muster up the faith or, or, or that, it was almost just seeing the people around me do that was just a, a huge encouragement just to be with other believers and to see them and to talk to them. So, yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, and I think the other, the other piece that jumps out at me as I think about this place is, is the godly wisdom that I've been able to uh, glean from my relationships here, my relationships on the advisory council, um, even just sharing coffee out there with friends, you know, like, and uh, I work, you know, I work a regular job and I work for a board and an executive committee that, you know, does not have quite the same worldview I have, right? right? And so, you know, things that to me would be black and white are, are a little more gray to them. So how do I, how do I navigate that? How do I, what's the right thing to do? How do you, you know, and th- that kind of wisdom has been a huge blessing for me because those decisions begin to shape and form your life. And, yeah. and that's, <laughs> that's important. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. And all those things really have to do with community, Yes. The opportunity to come together, be right. in the same space together, experience life together, all right. of that. Yeah. Yeah. I know that when uh, sometimes when we think about space, whether it's uh, you know church building or homes or whatever, we kind of we kind of take it for granted. Uh, I know kids. Um, if you're a parent, uh, kids will sometimes take for granted the space that is <laughs> sure. being provided for them, and sometimes they do it when they're little kids, and sometimes they do it when they're. 22-year-olds and yeah. not, not little yeah. kids. And, back. <laughs> uh, and then they have to get their own space and, and then they kind of think back on, wow, that's, that's a pretty significant thing. Yeah. And some people sacrificed in order to provide that. And I know that's true here, that not that we take this space for granted, but sometimes we forget the people 16, 17, 18 years ago that uh, sacrificed in significant ways right. to make this space that we, right. that we gather in every week to right. make it possible. It's impacted so many people over all these years. Now we get a chance uh, in, a, in a more modest way in terms of renovate, but still to make a difference in the lives of people yeah. for years yeah. to come. Absolutely. John, as, as you think about Fairfax and mm-hmm. you have a kind of unique view as your family's been part of it for so many years, but as you've been on the advisory council as well, do you think back to the next five years, 10 years, 15 years, what are you most excited about? Yeah, you know, I'm... I'm excited for growth, just like you said. You know, this has grown quadrupled. I, I'm I'm excited for that. I'm excited that we can continue to break down barriers for people to experience God's love in the gospel. Um, I would also say, though, I'm I'm uniquely excited for the fact that um, I just feel like the next generation here is 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 well positioned to do great things. You are, um, you're very gifted at raising up leaders and encouraging mm-hmm. people to take their gifting to the next level. Mm-hmm. And so I get excited about whether it's people in the blue seats or people on staff, um, as they grow in, in their love for God and as God uses them and, and as that gets pushed out into Fairfax and into the world, mm-hmm. I just think the impact we have here is just going to continue to grow. And I'm just, I'm just excited to, I'm excited to see that. Yeah. And John, you've been such a big part of that impact and have uh, poured yourself into this place in so many different ways for all those years. So thank you so much for that. And thank you for doing this today. Sure. No problem. Would you show your appreciation to John Pamela? All right, so this is Commitment Sunday for Renovate. Uh, Tuesday, as you saw in the video, is gonna be Giving Tuesday. We're gonna kind of start, kind of the jumpstart the giving towards Renovate. But today is is, uh, Commitment Sunday, and we're praying and hoping that everyone who 
calls Fairfax home and uh, you see yourself as being a part of this place, will commit to this really important capital campaign in some way at some level. And I think everyone was given a card when you came in, a renovate card. And uh, let me just walk through that real uh, quickly uh, for you as you uh, prepare to fill that out. Our ushers are going to come in a minute and uh, they're going to collect these pledge cards. But there's information at the top for just name, email, phone number, and then uh, the amount for your pledge, and then a place to check there of whether that is a pledge that you feel like you can fulfill by the end of this year. Some folks have let us know that they feel like they can kind of fulfill that whole commitment by the end of 2021, which is awesome. Or whether it's a pledge that you need a little bit more time and uh, to the end of next year, 2022, to fulfill that. So you can indicate the pledge amount. You can indicate whether it's something you can fulfill this year or whether it be something you can fulfill by the end of 2022. And I mentioned last week that if every family that was a part of Fairfax and gives already to Fairfax were to give, I think it's $884 over and above what you normally give over the next 13 months, we would hit our million dollar goal. That's like $68 a month or uh, $200 or, or $2.27 a day. It's like half a latte. You don't even have to give up the whole latte, just half a latte, uh, however you want to think about it. And uh, some of you, uh, you may go, I, I'm not sure that we could do that over the next 13 months. Others of you, um, God has probably blessed you in ways that you could do way more than that. I mentioned last week we have two families that have given uh, lead gifts. Each of them have given lead gifts of $50,000 for the campaign just to kind of jumpstart this. And so uh, really, however God has kind of positioned you and the situation that you're in to be able to be a part of this. And then on the back is, uh, and we've mentioned this before, is just an opportunity for you to indicate, as I as mentioned, it's not it's not about space, it's about what God does in the space. And we're praying that God is gonna do some amazing things over the next 16 years in this space. And we wanna give you an opportunity to indicate someone that you're praying for, that you're praying that somehow through the ministry of Fairfax, they will come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. And uh, you can place that there. And if you've already filled out a pledge card over the last few weeks or you've done one online, and if you're watching online, uh, you can be a part of this in just the same way today. Online, there's a little button at the top of the screen that just says renovate. And if you click that, it'll take you to all the information about renovate, the vision, the goals of renovate. And uh, there'll be a place there that just says pledge now. You can click that and participate in this as well. If you've already made a commitment, um, we would still like for you to fill out a card and uh, you don't need to put in the financial information, but we would like for you, uh, if you haven't had a chance to do it or you have someone else that comes to mind, to put someone that you would like for us to pray for. And I just wanna say a word to those of you who maybe are here for the first time and you're going, someone invited you, they said, hey, come to Fairfax, it's awesome, they won't ask you to do anything. And uh, then you're here at the kind of the peak of this uh, campaign. Uh, we would love to know that you're here today. And uh, so if you just give us your name and email and information, don't worry about any of the financial stuff. But if there's someone that you'd like us to pray for, we would love to pray for that person. And so when the ushers come by, you can put that in the basket and we'll be praying for that person 
for you. I want to just have a word of prayer and uh, just kind of ask God's blessing on uh, all of this and uh, then ask our ushers to come forward. So let's pray. God, well, we're so thankful, so thankful what's happened in this space over the last 16 years and hard to recount all of that, but lives that have been transformed, people that have uh, made decisions to follow you, have declared that they've been raised to life in Christ, whose marriages have have changed, that they're on a different trajectory, whose eternities have been changed forever. Lord, we're just so thankful to be a part of this. And we're excited about what you are gonna do in this space, through this space, over the next 16 years and beyond as well. So we just ask your blessing upon uh, this congregation, and uh, we pray that you would bless uh, the commitments that are made and, and, uh, and that you would be the provider. Lord, we trust in you. We do it uh, every week as we participate in uh, just the giving of our tithes and offerings. But Lord, we just pray that we would trust in you as provider as we make these commitments. And we pray that you would use us in ways that will make a difference in this world. In the name of Christ, we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. Okay, so I invite the ushers to come forward and uh, they're going to collect those cards. And if you need a little bit more time or you're just not ready, you didn't have time to fill it out or whatever, uh, on your way out, they're offering boxes in the back of the sanctuary there and uh, you can drop them off there and they're secure in that location also, also uh, as well. So, okay, as the ushers are doing that, I, I just wanna jump in just uh, to uh, save us a little time, jump into uh, the last sermon of our Ezekiel series. So to give you a little context, if you haven't been here over the last three or four weeks, uh, we've been focused on the book of Ezekiel, which is this weird little book of vision and all of that, and it's really set within the context of Israel who has been brought out of the wilderness, 40 years of the wilderness, into the land that God has promised for them, and everything is going awesome. They have political power, they have economic power, they have cultural power, they are ruling their little corner of the universe, everything is going great, but there is this spirit of disobedience in their heart. And because of this spirit of disobedience, uh, God's judgment comes and falls on them in the form of the empire of Babylon coming in and having a series of attacks on the city of, of Jerusalem and the, and the nation of Israel. And in the first attack, they don't really destroy anything. They just take the brightest and the best out of Israel, out of Jerusalem, into Babylonian exile. Take, they take the leaders in different channels of culture. They take the influencers. And one of the young men they take is a guy by the name of Ezekiel, who is this up-and-coming priest who is about to be ordained to the priesthood. And God uses Ezekiel in the midst of this exile to be his prophet, to bring a message to the Israelites, a message of judgment uh, for their disobedience, of justice because their disobedience, but also a message of hope and a message of a future, and he brings this message to the people of Israel for a number of years. And he does everything he can do, as we saw last week, street theater, little constructing little things, uh, uh, he does parables, metaphors, all kinds of stuff, trying to get the people of Israel to realize the destructiveness of their 
disobedient behavior, but they just don't get it. And finally, Ezekiel gets this horrible news that Jerusalem has indeed fallen. Everything that he prophesied was going to take place has taken place. The walls around Jerusalem have been torn down. The temple has been destroyed. The Holy of Holies, the place where the Ark of the Covenant is, the place where the glory of God is supposed to reside, all of that has been destroyed. And now they feel like kind of God is done with them. And it's hard to put into words when we talk about all this and we look about it through kind of a historical lens and we sit in the midst of our own you know, the own little things that we deal with, it's hard to kind of get your mind around the devastation that the Israelites are going through at this moment in their history. For those of you who lived through 9-11, it's like, it's like 9-11 on steroids, like a thousand times worse. Like everything, the destruction of Jerusalem, the temple being destroyed, them being taken into exile are far worse than they ever, of anything that they could have imagined happening to them. Everything they knew was gone. Their land was gone. Their place of worship was gone. The place where they understood God to be present was gone. Their friends were gone. Their homes were gone. They were scattered into all these different nations. And as they sit in Babylon, they feel like they are a people without a future. They feel like that God is done with them, that he's finished with them. And, And maybe there have been times in your life, uh, and maybe now's one of the times in your life where you f- have felt the same way, where either because you made a stupid decision or someone else made a stupid decision that impacted your life or just because of something that you're going through, whatever it is, you just feel like God is done with you. That it's not that he doesn't love you. It's not that if you died today, you wouldn't go to heaven. Like you feel like all that's secure. You put your trust in Jesus Christ. But it's just like, I don't feel like my like there's any purpose that God has for me anymore. I feel like God is kind of just done with me. I'm not even sure what I think about God and his will and his plan and how I fit into that and whether there is a God and all that. Just I feel like that God is done. That's how the Israelites are feeling. But as we've seen in the verse 34 chapters, interwoven in this message of judgment and justice is this message of hope. God continues to remind the Israelites that that he's not done with them, that he has a plan for them, that he has a purpose for them, that they have a future, uh, that he will be their God and, and that they will be his people. And, and even though their leaders, their shepherds have failed them, God will be their shepherd. God God will be the shepherd that their heart has always longed for. He just is constantly reminding them of this. And from chapter 34 on to the rest of the chapters, we're wrapping up this, this study. From chapter 34 on, that's basically what the rest of the book of Ezekiel is all about. It's all about the vision that God has for the people of Israel, for all the nations, for all of God's Creation And this vision of hope is seen most clearly in this kind of weird vision that Ezekiel has near the end of the book that starts in chapter 37. And, and here, here's, some of you are familiar with this, or maybe you've heard it in other contexts. Here, here's what the vision is, starting verse one. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord. He set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones, and he led me back and forth among the bones, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very, very dry. It meant whatever 
had been alive and was died uh, and died died a long time ago, like very very dry. So Ezekiel has this weird vision where he sees himself in this valley that's filled with all these dry bones, and God tells Ezekiel in verse eleven that it's an image of Israel's spiritual state, like the state that Israel did. Look, verse 11 says, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, talking about the bones, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Now that phrase, we are cut off is covenant language. You've seen it before as you read through the Old Testament. It's covenant language between God and his people. When God brought the Israelites to Mount Sinai, he said, if you obey my covenant, I will bless you. But if you disobey my covenant, you will be cut off. That's, that's covenant curse language. Cut off. To be cut off means to die. So to say that we're cut off is a way of saying our covenant relationship with God is dead. God is done with us. It's a way of saying that as a nation, we no longer have a future, that God is done with us as a nation. And at this point in their history, that's how Israel saw themselves. That's why the exile is so huge in the narrative of scripture. And sometimes, at least when I was growing up, it was kind of just, kind of just past by, but like it is this defining moment in the history of Israel because this is how Israel saw themselves in exile. They are a people without a future. They are a people who have been taken away from their land. They've been put in a dominant culture that's many times larger than they are. They've been scattered among all of these different nations. So it's just a matter of time before they completely and totally lose their national identity. It's just a matter of time before they stop thinking of themselves as a unique people of God. It's just a matter of time before as a nation, like they die. And for the Israelites, the death of their nation also means the death of their future. It means the death of their purpose. Remember what God said to Abraham. God established this covenant with Abraham, and he said to Abraham, through your descendants, through your family, through your people, through your tribe, through your nation, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. So even though Israel, like, they didn't understand yet how that was going to happen, like they didn't know about Jesus and, and how Jesus was the Messiah and how God was going to do that, but there was this sense that Israel had that God had a unique purpose for them as a nation, that somehow salvation was going to come to the whole world through them, that that was their purpose, that that, that was their hope, and now that hope is like, ripped away. That hope is gone. But then God asked Ezekiel a question. And this is the question. He asked me, Ezekiel said, son of man, can these bones live? These dry bones, do you think it's possible that they can live? And I said, oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. 
And then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. Talking about Israel. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life and then you will know that I am the Lord. Now, three things I just want you to notice about that powerful, powerful passage. And we could spend a ton of time on that. First thing I just want you to notice is that God tells Ezekiel to do something that sounds impossible. Uh, No one would want to do it and incredibly weird. He tells him to preach to the dry bones. And he's talking about Israel there who are represented by the dry bones, but he tells him to preach to the dry bones. Now on the surface, that seems like a completely and totally futile activity. Like who wants to waste their time preaching to dry bones? Who wants to waste their time trying to communicate to people that are not listening and do not care what you're saying? Some of you are parents and you go, I do that every day. Like, that's my life. Like, but that's what he's asking Ezekiel to do. He's asking Ezekiel to go to people who for years have ignored everything that he said. He's told parables. He's done street theater. He's done all of this stuff. They haven't listened to anything he says. And he says, I want you to go back to those people and I want you to preach to the dry bones. I want you to preach to the people that are dead. I want you to preach to the people that do not care what you have to say. Like, I want you to go and to preach to them. And like, who wants to do that? Who wants to waste their time preaching to something or someone where there is absolutely no sign of life? So why does God ask Ezekiel to do that? And what is God doing here? Because God doesn't need Ezekiel to preach to dry bones in order to raise them back to life. God can just snap, God can do whatever he wants to do. So God can just snap his fingers and zap them back to life. But God is reminding us of something here. He's reminding us that he wants us to be a part of his restorative, resurrecting, redeeming, transforming work in the world, that God doesn't just zap people back to life, that God doesn't just zap people happy. Like sometimes we want God to do that. We say, God, just zap them back to life or just zap them happy or zap me to life or zap me happy. Like, but that's not the way that God works. God invites us to be a part of the miracle. God uses the agency of flawed human beings like us to accomplish his mission in the world. You, you know, people sometimes will read through scripture or whatever and say, well, when I get to heaven, like this is what I wanna ask God. These are the questions I have. These things I can't figure out. This is the one that baffles me the most. The one that baffles me the most is that at the center of God's redeeming, restoring plan to, to bring life into the world, to take dry bones and make them live again. At the center of that is flawed human beings like me, like us, that he invites to be a part of that miracle, to be a part of that redeeming, restoring mission, that greatest mission that the world has ever known. So don't just 
sit by passively and wait for God to do something miraculous in your life. God doesn't work that way. Don't just sit by passively and wait for God to do something miraculous in the life of your friend, in the life of your spouse, the life of your husband, the life of your wife, whatever. God doesn't work. Be a part of the miracle. Allow God to use you in whatever way God wants to use you to be a part of what he's doing in the world. The other thing God is reminding us here is that nothing is so dead that God can't raise it back to life. Like like no marriage, no relationship, no ministry, no future, no hope is beyond God's resurrection reach. Can I get an amen for that? Like, think about that. Like these are, these aren't just dead bodies. That's the thing about the dry bones in Ezekiel. It's not just dead bodies. He doesn't just see dead bodies. Like when, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the grave, like he'd been there a few days, but still it was a stinky body, but still it was a body. Like it hadn't been that long. Like what Ezekiel sees is not dead bodies. He, it's dry bones. There's no bodies. The bodies are gone. The the ligaments have come apart. The skeletal remains are not even visible. You can't even tell it was body. All that's left are just these dry bones. I don't know if you can get any deader than dead, but it is the deadest that you can get. Like these are dry bones. So, and 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 God says, no problem with the dry bones. Like, I can bring the dry bones back to life. Trust me, I can bring the dry bones back to life. So don't put limitations on God's resurrecting power. That's the point of this. Like, don't ever think that something or someone is too far gone, that it's been too long for God to restore them. Like, don't let the dry bones fool you into giving up hope. Don't let that, see, that's, that is the, the work of the enemy is that the dry bones fool us. They trick us into thinking that there's no way that anything good can come out of this. But don't let the dry bones trick you or fool you into thinking that there is no hope. God can bring the dry bones back to life. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. I want you to notice that there's no life Without the spirit. This is the, this is the point about God's resurrecting power and his power work in our lives that sometimes that we forget. That's what the wind and the breath of God in this vision is all about. It's about the work of God's Holy Spirit. It's about the breath of God coming in and breathing life. It's about the life-giving power of the spirit of God. Look at verse 14. God says, I will put my spirit in you and you will Live. I'll put my spirit in you and you will live. When God brings something back to life, when God resurrects something, whatever it is, a marriage, a relationship, a future, a hope, whatever it is, when God brings something back to life, he doesn't just restore it to its previous state. Like if God brought the nation of Israel back to life 
and just restored the nation of Israel to its previous state, they would have just continued along the same path that eventually led to their death, right? Because their hearts had become hardened. I mean, that's what led to the exile. That's what led to their death. So if God raises them back to life again, but they still, don't, they still have hearts that are hard, hearts that have not been changed, hearts that haven't been transformed, then before long, they'll be right back where they were before. But God says, that's not what the raising of these dry bones are all about. Like, I'm not gonna just raise you back to life, that along with the new life, I'm gonna give you a new spirit. New life, new spirit. Wherever there's new life, there's a new spirit. And I'm gonna bring this new spirit, my spirit, to dwell and live within you. That's what's going to bring the life. I'm gonna replace a spirit of death with a spirit of life. I'm gonna take those hard hearts that got you into this place, that got you into this mess, and I'm gonna replace them with new hearts that are in the yes position to me. Sometimes we want to experience new life, uh, and, and this has been true for me too in my spiritual. Sometimes I want to experience new life without you know, without a new spirit, and sometimes all of us, I think, fall into that. We want to experience new life, like get things Corrected, get things straightened out, whatever it is, like new life without a new spirit. Sometimes we, we blow it, we, we make stupid decisions, we do stuff that we know is not pleasing to God, that, that damages other people, that hurts other people, that hurts ourselves, whatever it is. We blow it and, and we just want God to resurrect a few things. Like there may be like right now, some things in your life where you go, okay, that wasn't real smart. Like that wasn't the smartest thing I've ever said. That wasn't the smartest thing I've ever done. Like that wasn't really great. And, and you're kind of going, yeah, I want God to kind of, and I know that God can do things and make dry bones live again and all that. And I just, I just want God to resurrect a few things. It's just, I want God to put some things back the way they were before the stupid decisions that I made. I just, I just want it to be made right again. But the way things were before is what led to the death, led to the brokenness, led to the hurt, led to the pain in the first place. And what Ezekiel is teaching us here is that God is not gonna resurrect things without resurrecting us first. That God is not gonna restore things in our life without restoring us first. That God is not gonna change things in our life without changing us first. In other words, you can't experience God's resurrection power unless you're willing to allow God's resurrection spirit to live and dwell and invade your life because the life you desire and the life I desire is not just the product of new circumstances. It's the product of a new heart. Like the life that we want we tend to reduce it down and the resurrecting power of God down to just new set of circumstances. Just fix it, make it right again, bring it to life again. But the life that you and I desire is not just the result of new circumstances, it's the result of a new heart. And then thirdly, I want you to notice the result of the dry bones coming to life. Look at verses five and six again. Says, this is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I'll make breath, talking about the Spirit of God, enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I'm gonna do all this stuff. Then 
you'll know that I'm the Lord. And you go, wait a second. Like, what does that mean? Then you will know that I'm the Lord. Don't they already know? I mean, these are the people of God. This is Israel. Don't they already know that God is the Lord? And yes, they know it. They knew it. They, at least they knew it cognitively that that declaration was a part of their worship. God is the Lord. That declaration was a part of their liturgy. God is the Lord. Like it was a part of their religious vernacular. It's the stuff you said if you were a part of this family is that God is the Lord. God is the Lord. That was the songs they sang and the words that they spoke and the chorus they sang, all of that, that God is the Lord. But what God is reminding them of is that because of what they have experienced in the exile, because of the pain of the exile, the hurt of the exile, everything they've experienced in the exile, the loss they've experienced, the despair they've experienced, that when God raises them up, when he breathes new life into them, when these new bones come back to life, that they are gonna know that God is the Lord at a whole different level than they knew it before. The reality is none of us, and we've talked about this before, I talk about this a lot, none of us want to go through an exile experience of any kind. Like, I've never met anyone that says, you know what I really need in my life and what I really want? It's just like a really painful, painful experience. It's like, like some kind of excruciating loss I feel like would be helpful for me. Like I wanna go through exile, I wanna get in the wilderness. No, no one wants to go through an exile experience. None of us want to experience pain. We wanna experience loss. We don't wanna experience profound brokenness, whether it's because we caused it or someone else caused it or we just live in a broken sin. Like none of us want to experience that. But all of us do experience that, at least at some level, and some more excruciatingly painful and unspeakable than others. But when we experience those things, and God brings us through, when we experience those things and God brings us through the other side, when he brings us through the valley of death, when he brings us through the valley of the dry bones, when he brings life into the dry bones and gets us out of all of that. Like it just changes us. Like we know God. It's not that we didn't know God before. It's just that we know God in a different way. And sometimes it's, it's a way in which it's even hard to explain someone that's never gone through what we have gone through and the journey that we have gone through. And we would never want them to go through the journey that we've gone through. And we would never have wished the journey that we have gone through on ourselves. But somehow because of the journey we have gone through and the fact that we have seen God bring life into the midst of that journey, somehow we know that the God is the Lord in a way that we did not know it before. Something changes. It's at a whole different level. It's interesting that when the resurrected Jesus appears to his disciples, we're told that the resurrected, glorified dry bones living again body of Jesus the resurrected Christ still has the nail prints in his hands, the wounds in his feet, and the wound in his side that was caused by the sword that was thrust into it. That's the resurrected body of Jesus. And you think about that and you go, why is Jesus' resurrected body 
still a wounded body. It's a resurrected body, but it's still a wounded body. And the reason is because the resurrection doesn't erase all of our wounds. The resurrection doesn't cause us to forget that we experience those wounds. The resurrection doesn't force us to pretend like that never happened and we never went through that. That's not what the resurrection does. The resurrection overcomes our wounds. The resurrection takes away the power of our wounds to rob us of life. Think about it. It was those wounds in Jesus' hands and his feet and the sword that was thrust inside that was a part of the process that led to his death. But now he stands here with these same wounds, but he's not dead. Like he's alive because the resurrection overpowers. It doesn't, it doesn't cause us to pretend like the wounds never happened. It just overpowers those wounds. It overcomes those wounds and it takes away their power to rob us of life. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, your afflictions are preparing a weight of glory. It's Paul's way of saying that the joy of the resurrection is actually somehow deepened by loss. Like, here's the deal. If you've somehow managed to skate through life and never experience any pain, any loss, any evil, have never come face to face with any evil in your life, like you've somehow managed to get to this point in your life and you have skated by all of that, then a God who is triumphant over evil doesn't mean a whole lot. Like it's just kind of words. If you've not experienced evil, if you've not experienced pain, if you've not come face to face with hardship, if you've not dealt in the God who overcome, who is triumphant over evil doesn't mean much. But when you've experienced evil, like when you've looked evil in the eye, when you've experienced it face to face, like when you've experienced loss, when you've experienced the pain of death, then the joy of being in a relationship with a God who has overcome all of that, who has overcome evil, who has overcome death, who has overcome pain, who has overcome loss, it grows even deeper in our soul. Now, when you get to the end of this, uh, it's not the end of the chapter, there's more of the chapter, I hope that you'll read the rest of the chapter, when you get to kind of the end of this part of the narrative, verses seven and following, you see the actual fulfillment of God's promise to bring these bones back to life. This is what it says, so I prophesied, so Ezekiel said, I did what you told me to do, like I prophesied to these dry bones, these people that, you know, didn't really care what I was saying. And I was, I was, as I was prophesying, there was a noise a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them and they came to life and stood on their feet. This vast 
army of people. So the bones come together to form skeletons and the tendons and flesh and skin grows over the skeletons and a wind, God's spirit comes and fills each with the breath of, of life. And, and now Ezekiel says, now he's seeing not these dry bones. He's not just seeing these skeletons. He's not just seeing these people that are dead but covered with flesh. Now he's seeing this, this army, this army of humanity that is standing is standing in front of him and, and is on the move, is ready to march, is ready to go into battle. And, and here's what I want you to notice. The valley of death that Ezekiel sees in this vision is an appropriate place for dry bones. Like that, uh, a valley of death is an appropriate place for dry bones to dwell, right? Dry bones and a valley of death, they go together. Like they are like, they go together. And now Ezekiel sees this vast army. Now, but once the bones are like brought to life, the valley of death, like it, it can't contain them. It is this army that is standing and ready to march and ready to go into battle. It's this army that is on the move. And here's the point. Sometimes we miss the resurrected power, the resurrection power, the resurrected life, because we get stuck in the valley of death. That, here's what I mean by that. God has, God has raised us to life. Uh, he's breathed the breath of life, the spirit of God within us and He's brought us through whatever exile that we were going through. He's, he's brought us through all of that. But we don't experience it because we're still stuck in the valley of death. It's like God has, God has set us free and given us life, but instead of moving into the future that he has for us, we are still stuck in the, the pain and the wounds and the hurt of the past. And it's not that the wounds, that God's resurrecting power means the wounds stop existing. No, the wounds are still there. But God doesn't want us stuck in the valley of death where that's where the, that's where the dry bones need to be. But this resurrected army, this army that's on the move, like it needs to leave the valley of death. It needs to leave the valley where the dry bones live. And it needs to move into the future that God has for those who have been raised to life in Christ. Like that's what it means to live this stuff out. So let me just end with a couple of questions. I mean, this sermon, this series with a couple of questions. First of all, like what are the dry bones in your life that God needs to, as you do a little inventory of your life, what are the dry bones that God needs to breathe new life in your life? Like what have you given up on because it just seemed so dead that nothing could ever change it? Like maybe it's an addictive behavior. It just seems like nothing's ever gonna change here. Or maybe it's your marriage. You just say nothing's ever gonna change here. Or maybe it's a relationship. It's just like nothing is ever gonna change here. Or maybe it's a relationship with your parents, a relationship with your kids, or someone's just like, nothing's ever, maybe the relationship 
that you've given up on that feels like it's so dead that nothing will ever change is your relationship with God. That it just feels like, you know, you're here, you're, you're still at some level maybe hopeful, you're, you're watching, you're, you're, you're here, but it just feels like that it, the relationship has just been kind of dead or in neutral for so long. It's been so long since there was a vibrant prayer life that you've experienced, so long since you were able to get anything out of God's word, so long since there was any sense of real vibrancy in your relationship, and it's just... And it's just gone on and it's just dry bones and it just feels like this is never gonna come to life. And if you feel that way, the question that God is asking you is the same question he asked Ezekiel. Can these bones live again? And the answer is yes. So don't give up. Don't you dare give up on the things that God has not given up on. Don't you dare lose hope over the things that God has not lost hope for. Some of you are right in the middle, I think, of maybe making some decisions of like, this is it, like this is it. It doesn't get any deader than this. This is as dead as dead can get. There is no hope. And God says, these bones can live again. So don't give up on what God has not given up on. Then the other question I wanna ask you is this, where has God already raised some dry bones to life in your life? And you're really not experiencing it because you're still stuck in the valley of death. Like where do you need to let go of something in the past? Not, not pretend like it didn't happen. Not play some mind game of like, oh, it doesn't really matter. It wasn't such a big deal. No, it was a really big deal, whatever that was. whatever that decision was that you made that caused so much pain, whatever that decision was that someone else made that caused you so much pain and wounded you so deeply, no, it's a big deal. So it's not about minimizing that. It's not about pretending it didn't exist. It didn't happen. It's not about saying no big deal. Let's go on from here, no. It's about allowing the resurrecting power of Jesus to overwhelm the wounds so that you can leave finally the valley of death, the valley of dry bones and enter into the future. This amazing future that God has for every single one of you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what your journey has been, this amazing future that God has for every single one. So leave that behind and walk into the future.
that God has. God, it's hard sometimes when we read a book like Ezekiel because it's filled with so many things that remind us of the consequences of sin and brokenness and disobedience. And and sometimes it's hard to come face to face with that in our own lives, and but we know it because we've seen the impact that moving away from you and your will and your way can have on us and on others. But Lord, this is a book that also fills us with hope because you are the God that no matter how devastatingly hopeless things feel, you are the God that makes dry bones live again. And so we pray that wherever we are experiencing those dry bones in our life that we will allow you and the breath of your spirit to invade that and to invade us in a way that brings us life. And we pray where you have already done that, but we are still somehow stuck in the wounds of the past and not yet experiencing the power of your resurrection hope that we would be able to move into that future with confidence. Thank you, Lord, for making dry bones live again. In the name of Christ, we pray. And everyone said, amen. Let's stand together and worship.